This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Pony Express Record by Shudder to Think. At times, it's the most brilliant part of this record, and at other times, the most challenging and difficult. It sounds like in a lot of instances, they had a song, and then they completely deconstructed it. The more I listened to it, the more I got into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, you're back for the 117th time in a row. Good evening. Is it once 117? This is episode 117. Wow. We're almost ready for syndication. Wow. That's when the that's when the real money rolls in. When you syndicate. Have you thought to go back and listen to any of the early episodes? Good just, God, just no, for, man. Why would I who, do that? No. Just wondering. No. I haven't either, but I'm I'm assuming at some point I probably will. But I'm really worried because I know in some of those, even those like really early episodes, I don't even think we put music samples. We just talk through the whole thing, which has got to be excruciatingly boring. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we figured that out pretty quick, right? And I don't I th- think there were a ton of episodes. Like I think that. there was like two or three. So we might want to like redo those episodes. <laughs> I think those they're also classic. like they're like 10 minutes long, too. Yeah, the first couple were like 15, 15 and 10 minutes or something. I think that was my goal at the beginning was let's do let's do a 10-minute review. <laughs> and then we spent four hours with Elaine Johannes yeah. and, uh, and Sean Smith. <laughs> so yeah. that's, what, that's how that went. Well, this week, episode 117 brings us one of our requested reviews. Requested, requested review. And this one comes from Tony Phillips. He suggested an album, Jay, that mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with or not. I was not familiar with this record. This was one of my glaring omissions from my uh, musical listening history. It's mm. Pony Express Record by Shudder to Think. Now, were you familiar with this album? Yeah, kind of. Uh, not not deeply. I, I had uh, sampled some things here and there and had the general idea what the band was about. This was one where I remember a lot of people I would encounter would more back in the 90s, but also randomly during the last decade, people would say, you got to check out this band or you got to check out this album. Yeah. And I would just never do it. Mm. I don't even think, I think I maybe saw the video for the single, which was X French t-shirt, which we're going to get to later. Um, yep. That was maybe once and I was confused. I, I want to say, the- like, uh, they perform that on a TV show, like, like one of the late night shows or something. Like, well, they performed on uh, the John Stewart show when it was on MTV. Okay, maybe that was it. Yeah, I I just remember that song from that about a television performance. But we're talking about the history of Shutter Think. Why don't we just do the history of the band? History of the band. So Shudder to Think formed in 1986 by vocalist and guitarist Craig Wedren, guitarist Chris Matthews, bassist Stuart Hill, and drummer Mike Russell. Their first album, Curses, Spells, Voodoo, Mooses, in, uh, was released in 1989 on Samich Records. Uh, they signed to Discord Records 
home of you know, many, many great bands and run by uh, Ian McKay of uh, Fugazi and home of Fugazi and so many other bands. They released the first album on Discord in 1990 called Ten Spot. Their uh, second album on Discord, third overall, was Funeral at the Movies in 1991. And then their fourth overall album, Get Your Goat, in 1992. It was at this point in 92 that they brought in Nathan Larson, who was in a band called Swizz, to play guitar, and ex-Jawbox drummer Adam Wade to play drums, replacing Mike Russell. In 1994, they signed to Epic Records and later that year released the album we're reviewing, Pony Express Record, which was produced by Ted Nicely and mixed by Andy Wallace, two kind of big names in the... uh, production and mixing arena at that time and still to today Uh, during the three years that followed there was some strange things that happened to the band wedrin was diagnosed with hodgkin's disease and he successfully overcame it larson released an album with a side project band called mind science of the mind and then wade was replaced with former dam builders drummer kevin march in uh they released uh 50,000 BC on Epic. I think that was 97. And then in 98, they composed the music for the movies High Art and First Love, Last Rites, and also contributed two songs to the Velvet Goldmine soundtrack, Hot One and Ballad of Maxwell Demon. The band broke up, went off and did their own things, and then in September of 2007, the band performed a brief set together while it was Wedrin, Larson, and March performed together. At the Mercury Lounge in New York City, they continued to do shows in 2008 and 2009, and they released a live album entitled Live From Home in September of 2009. Playing without Larson, the band played what was billed as their final show at the Bowery Ballroom in New York City. That is the history of Shudder to Think, or our, our brief version of it. If you would like to su- suggest a Band for review, visit the request of you page at digmeoutpodcast.com. So, Jay, we got some Facebook feedback on this record. Cool. People were, were very happy for us to be uh, checking out this album. Brandon Trammell said, Yes, an all time favorite of mine. Uh, Sutter to Think challenged machismo and sexuality without flinching on this record while still doing it, while still doing everything right that got them to that point that people would listen. One of my all-time favorite headphone albums, so criminally underrated. Dimitri Dumitri responded to Brandon's uh, post, wow, Brandon, you really make me want to check this album out. And this band always heard the name, never got around to listening to them. Same boat as Dimitri, I I am. We're in the the same rowboat with not listening to this band beforehand. David Gorgos checking in. Great choice. Beautiful falsetto. And then finally, uh, Paul Verabelli, maybe that's how you pronounce it, I'm not sure. Now You're Talking saw them on tour right before they released that epic masterpiece opening for Fugazi, the most unique and original album on any major label. Most of the Discord bands rocked when they played this. uh, Most of the Discord bands rocked. When they played this on the John Stewart show, it was amazing. And then he asked when we're going to be reviewing Jawboxes for Your Own Special Sweetheart. We'll get to that later, but I think that's a band that we're uh, going to mention during this particular review. 
So uh, I was doing some research on this album, Jay, and I found an in- I found an interview with Craig Wedren uh, from after they reunited. It's from September sixteenth, two thousand eight, and it was with Pitchfork.com. And I wanted to pull this quote because I think it's going to be relevant to our discussion. So bear with me because this is a little bit long, but I, I think this is a really interesting quote. And people can find the interview on, on Pitchfork for the, the whole interview. They asked him what their aspirations were as a band. And this is what Craig Wedron said. Frankly, our aspirations were not to be like Pavement. They were to be like the Cars or Van Halen or Duran Duran. So I think that the humor was just natural. I think that was related in large part to being exposed to the rock music that grew that we grew up with because we didn't grow up, at least for me and Nathan, in D.C. We grew up in Cleveland, and in Cleveland, people don't really care about bands like Minor Threat. Well, we did care about Minor Threat, but there was no true scene. There was no code of ethics. There was just music that could save you from wanting to kill yourself to help you get through the day. So that was what me and David Wayne, David Wayne of the state, who grew up with, who I grew up with, were doing all the time, worshiping all the time. So the humor probably came more from his end because David was basically a born comedian. And the sort of rock worship on my end came mushed together and with that became this strange shudder to think sound. I guess, and also talking about his aspirations, he's also talking about the odd sense of humor that shudder to think portrayed. So, with that quote in mind, shudder to think, Pony Express record, Jay. Does this album make you shudder in fear? Or did it find an express way to your heart? Uh, I'll play along with that. It's a long journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I listened to this record probably just for this review. I don't say at least a dozen times, maybe more. I feel like I'm just starting to scratch the surface. Um, mm-hmm. and and in, in starting to be able to understand and comprehend what, what the hell is going on. Um, obviously, this is a, a group of very competent musicians. You know, the guitar playing is, uh, you can hear some of the, I would say, 80s kind of almost, you know, hard rock metal kind of background, even in the tone of the guitars. Mm-hmm. But then there's this, it's, tra- it's kind of funneled through a kind of post-hardcore or experimental uh, almost at times sort of jazz influence in terms of the chords being used and some of the clean parts um so it becomes very on its own i mean just the guitar on its own becomes a very strange hybrid of the two you know rhythmically you've got a lot of complicated like starts and stops and accenting and dynamics and you know it kind of gets I think that's the part to me that feels the most like, say, a jawbox. It's mm-hmm. just the, the, sort of the under rhythm to everything. Uh, the bass tone is is kind of a mid rangey kind of bass tone, which is also reminiscent of, of of those kind of bands. The vocal is really the part that, at times, is the most brilliant part of this record, and at other times, the most challenging and difficult. Um, it is completely over the top. You know, I mean, it is theatrical. At times not melodic in any sense uh, and other times you know it could be very melodic uh, and there's there's some choruses on here that you know you could if you just took the i don't know if they're choruses but there's some melodies on here that if you just sort of snipped it down to that melody and played it for somebody they might think it's a matthew sweet song mm-hmm. but it's, it's so brief and fleeting <laughs> you know and, and it's uh 
the phrase, I mean, it's all about phrasing, you know, there's, it's kind of a clinic on, on different ways to phrase things and play around with melody and falsetto and rhythm and timing. And, you know, it's kind of vocal gymnastics, you know? Um, so there's a lot here to get through. Uh, I found myself, the more I listened to it, the more I got into it, the more I could start to remember some of the pieces and parts, particularly if I, if I really focused on the rhythm, I found myself getting into it a lot more. So I'll, I'll just say for people who kind of want to give this band a, a shot and, and un, try to understand what it's about, <laughs> this is probably the first time we've had to do this, but offer some listening advice. Yeah. <laughs> try to, try to like just ignore the vocal reverse couple listens, maybe the first two, three listens and just really just try to focus on, you know, what the, what the music is. And I think it makes the vocal a lot easier to start to absorb and, and appreciate over time. Um, that is completely counterintuitive to how most, you know, people listen to music. Most people listen to music vocal first. And I think if you do that, and that's what I've done in the past when I've tried to get in this rec- into this record, because this is, you know, this is a record, I think I mentioned earlier that, you know, I've tried, because obviously I've heard, you know, just like you have about high praise for it. I've tried to get into it and just could not kind of get past a couple, first couple songs. Um, it was because I was focusing on the vocal and it's just so strange <laughs> and challenging and unpredictable that it makes it for a very difficult listen if that's what you focus on. So um, I don't know, man, there's a lot here. What, uh, what do you, what do you think? You're, you're newer to it than I am. Yeah. And that's, I, I think that I'm in the right place to appreciate this record now, whereas I think if I had tried to take this in when it came out or even five or ten years ago, I don't know that I would have necessarily bonded with it, but I I really dug the record. And the more I listen to it, especially he- this is a good headphone record. You put this on, you can hear the the production is just absolutely pristine. You can hear every note being played. You can mm-hmm. hear all the guitar work that's going on, playing off of each other, all this dissonance that the guitar is doing, and then his bizarre, you, you said it, operatic vocal. I was playing it in the car, and Katie said this sounded like Jesus Christ Superstar <laughs> at points. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, you should go listen to the Punches Pilot songs. And I, I actually did, and I, I knew what she was talking about. I think if I was going to sum this album up and and what they're doing, it's like Jeff Buckley is singing over Jawbox. Like it's got these crazy falsetto parts, these vibratos, and he, he, but it even pushes further because he gets the way he uses his vocal to evoke mood and the sense of creepiness and and dread. This is a dark record. There's a lot of weird darkness to the to the lyrics. He's talking about bones and and f- meat and skin and and fingers on you and like, but it's just it's a it's a creepy record. It's like it's like watching a what Tool if, video. It's what about track eight, where all of a sudden in the middle of the song, he says something about motherfucking her son, something yes. or another. I was like, what? What the? And it's in the middle of, of a, like a, a, this, 
it's the probably the prettiest song on the record too because it starts with that acoustic like alt country intro then it goes to brushes on a snare and then there's just a lot of clean picking guitar which then turns into a waltz and then it gets in like this epic ending but it's never as loud or as dissonant as anything else on the record that's a A stamp of a knife with initials on rubber, a doodle of some ancient motherfucking her son. I predict by 3 a.m. the pill bottle top will have come You're right. The lyrics are just—it's a lot of cut and paste lyrics. It sounds like a lot of like uh, beat poetry sounding things, yeah. and I really I mean, like it. I mean, I think it's really cool, and I, I appreciate the fact that it's challenging, but with a sense of melody and songwriting ability that you never get lost. Like I, I was never listening to these songs going. I don't know what's going on. Like there's always a direction that the song is taking, and it's quite clear where it's going whether they're starting small and building or whether they're breaking the rhythm up into these jagged pieces you kind of always know where it's going but it's just really interesting how it's going to take you there yeah if you listen to the first 20 seconds of a song like kissy penny i I just i just listen to the first 20 seconds you're like what did what just happened i don't even understand what i'm listening to right now like
it's sort of melodic and musical in some way, but in terms of there's a pattern of notes and chords that occur that don't make any like sort of traditional sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're just like, wait, this, it, it's sort of like uh, I found a lot of the intros do this where there's a couple notes that come in and or a couple chords and you're like, oh, this is where the song's headed. And it's like, nope, that's not where we're headed at all. You know, five no. seconds later, it's like, we're going to go in this direction and then we're going to totally change it and stop and then build up again. And then, you know what I mean? Just strange twists and turns. And I, I was trying to k- figure out like one of the songs, it may have been that song, like before we got to any semblance of some kind of chorus or uh, like a discernible another part, trying to count like how many chords just happened, you know? <laughs> It could have been forty. Like I don't even know. You know, just like. And I think that's where like insanity. the jazz influence comes from, and and even the metal. It's a weird, you know, combination. But music that uses a lot of chords, in that in that way in that succession, are usually like jazz and metal. Mm-hmm. You don't get that in like straight, just plain old rock and roll. You get four chords or or eight chords or whatever. Right. And they're doing this weird combination of, you know, they're using jazz phrasings on some things and these metal riffs. And mm-hmm. it's it shouldn't work, and yet it it really does. And you were talking about, like, almost coming up with, like, Matthew Sweet-style pop choruses when um, Earthquakes Come Home is a perfect example. It's got this broken w- rhythm with odd stops and starts. And then you get to the end of the song... And it has this huge chorus with Heaven is Holding Out for High Scores, which I love that line, yeah. too. Yeah. And it's just the, the biggest, most melodic you yeah. know, chorus you can think of. because you you realize wow this is a band that could have wrote easily 10 really sugary weezer-esque pop songs and yet they it sounds like in a lot of instances they had a song and then they completely deconstructed it and broke it into its fundamental jagged parts and then that's where they went yeah and what's what's strange is um so a song like nine fingers on on you i think is pretty pretty straightforward in a, in a weird way like mm-hmm. there's some weird timing going on but it's probably the most like uh, as you said deconstructed i'm thinking like that's probably if that was the method they use let's go with that theory you know this is the song maybe they deconstructed the least 
And in a strange way, what was really puzzling to me is like, you know, part of me wants these songs to be to be simpler. You know, when the, when the hooks happen, I'm like, oh, I would love that if it just there was more of this. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. when those choruses at the end of um, Earthquakes Come Home or X Friend T-shirt happen, you know, you're like, oh, I would love if there was more of this going on on the record. So you would think in some ways like a simpler song or just a more traditional sort of predictable uh, format would be what I was looking for, which Nine Fingers on You kind of follows. But in a weird way, I was kind of like, well, this is kind of too simple. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, I don't know if maybe this, the song isn't as strong, but it sort of tested my what I thought I was looking for out of this band mm-hmm. um, a little bit. So yeah, did that song was, remind you of a Satchel song? Hmm. Didn't there, didn't occur there, to me. There are parts of the record where, when he wasn't doing his creepy, weird Jesus Christ Superstar operatic vocal, when he was doing that like sassy falsetto, he kind of reminded me of Sean Smith. Hmm. And that song, the, because he does that distorted chorus with the Muscle Machine part, really reminded me of of like one of that one of those first songs or one of those songs off that first Satchel record EDC. Hmm. It reminded me of, um, I mean, if I had to pick generically pick a band, I was more in like a Soundgarden kind of oh, okay. place with that song. It had that like that odd like where you think the 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 rhythm the riff is pretty simple, but rhythmically there's like a a weirdness to the time time signature that kind of makes it cool. You know well, it's I mean? it's interesting they mentioned that because one of the songs and that you mentioned about how many chords they're using because one of the songs where they do use a weird time signature is the single X French t-shirt. Yeah. But there's like one chord in the song. Right. It's and I it's amazing. Right. Yeah, I love that. Uh, uh, and that that's what I'm saying like when that happens you're like well now I can appreciate a whole other side of the band that I couldn't before cuz all the other songs up to this point were so disjointed and deconstructed that when that happens when they just hang on that chord and they just, you know, focus on the melody all of a sudden I realize Oh, there's a really cool rhythm going on here. You know what I mean? I can, yeah. My brain can process everything. <laughs> so I, I got to say that, you know, at this point where I'm at with this record, you know, I wish there was more of that. I don't know. If I for it's kind of the thing where it'll be interesting to see where I go from here. You know, if I'll continue to kind of force myself to listen to it more just to see how much more I can appreciate it because part of me wants to do that because it, if it's starting to feel like a record that I could really kind of fall in love with if I, if I, you know, put the time in to really start absorbing it more. But sometimes with music, you're like, well, should I have to work that hard? <laughs> well, I think that there's so many layers. I mean, there's definitely like songs where I still don't understand what's going on. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, they're, they're playing around with song structures and doing weird things that on first, second, sixth, listen, I'm still confused. I'm still trying to figure out what this, where this part goes, here, how this part mm-hmm. connects to this one. Because I think what they do a lot of times is they're ending on a chord that I don't think should be matched up with the chord that the next part's starting on. Oh, yeah. And they, they slam them into each other, and you just kind of have to accept it. And it's so jarring that I'm sort of like left stunned for a moment, and I'm not even really paying attention to what's going on. So I'm like, wait a minute, what did, what just happened? But they oh, do it yeah. so effortlessly and with so little attention being paid to it that, you know, there's for as flashy 
as the playing is and as over the top at times as the vocal is, there's not a lot of showiness to the to the music in terms of there's not like crazy solos and there's no you know the the rhythm section is is it's complex, but it's not he's not like doing insane long fills and and showing off in that respect. He's no. playing you know he's doing weird things like with ex French T-shirt playing a four four beat and then adding two extra beats at the end yeah. to create this weird rhythm that you kind of you, you start nodding your head to it and you're like this is really bizarre but it's it's well, it you catch yourself like you said you could focus in on it and then it sort of becomes like hypnotic the way yeah. that he plays it I think the showiness is in the vocal, though. You know, what I mean, he's yeah, he's basically doing the guitar solos with his vocal. Um, so that's you know, I think this this record and this this band. I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't say that. I'm not familiar enough with the rest of the catalog, uh, catalog but this this record um, that's the biggest hurdle, and I think it kind of lives and dies with how you feel about the vocal. You know, with time. If it, or if you ever give it a shot because of the vocal uh, approach. And it's not, he's an incredibly talented singer. I think Dirty Gert mentioned, you know, the falsetto, and, and he's right. And he's, he's particularly right when um, it's meshed up against the, you know, the, the, the crunchy guitar. You know, it's just a perfect match. You've got this really dark, you know, heavy guitar that's really crisp, and then he'll hit some of these notes that it's just, it's just, you know, classic, you know, rock sounding combination of elements you know it's the Mm -hmm. it's what works about rock music when it's at its best you know what i mean that heavy guitar sound with a singer that just hitting a note over top of it and it's all coming together um and they can do that and you know for me obviously that's kind of where i'm most comfortable with this band this is when i start to understand them the most so songs like shaka track nine uh gang of money track two is that how you say it I said a gang of dollars. Gang of dollars, whatever. I don't know. All these titles are very strange. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those songs where they have those, you know, the heavier riffs, uh, it, it's, it, the whole combination of everything comes together better for me. I think when they get in the quiet stuff, you just so fixated on his vocal. You know, you just, yeah, everything else just becomes, you know, secondary. And what's strange is in those quieter songs is when I think they're the most complex. You know, when, when the songs... Mm-hmm. When the songs get quiet, they get really, really busy and start, you know, 
deconstruct the song the most. And when the songs get heavier, I think they get simpler. So there's a kind of a cool contrast there. So when those heavy parts come, it really adds to the effect of it. It's kind of a different approach to um, to dynamics, if you think about it, you know, instead of just doing a volume shift or an intensity and how hard you're hitting or using an effect or a production technique, they actually, they actually kind of simplify the song a little bit and pull together. And then when they get quiet, it all gets way more disjointed and strange. Let me ask you about track 11. So into you. First of all, did you know that's a cover? I did not. Are you familiar with the Atlanta rhythm section? No. Okay. They were like a 70s soft rock band and they had a song called So Into You. Now, anybody who's not familiar with this, I'm just going to play this during the episode. So you're going to be able to hear their version and then the Shutter to Think version.
I didn't even realize it was the cover, and I'm very familiar with that song. I actually have like the best of Atlanta rhythm section, and I had no idea that they were covering, and that's their biggest single. And I was hmm. so blown away when I realized from reading an article that they covered it. I was like, oh my god, that doesn't sound anything like the song. The whole like the original song is like electric piano and like got a groove and it's got like this like Michael McDonald sounding guy singing it. It's yeah. totally different, and they totally disassembled that song and turned it into a song that fits in perfectly with the rest of this band. Well, the the intro of that sounds like um, it sounds like a church hymn, and the fact of you know he's singing so into you in that way, you're like. Um, it feels like he's worshiping a person. So mm-hmm. I'm like, conceptually, this is kind of cool. And then when the song comes in, it actually reminded me a lot, uh, once the actual song starts, of Catherine Wheel, like mid- mid-era Catherine Wheel. Um, like obviously, it's a lot. Um, maybe uh, or happy days. maybe Happy Days. Because um, it's got the chunkier guitar. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just musically and rhythmically, even some of the melodies on here, um, I'll start to approach that kind of sound. Which obviously was relatable for me. I could understand that, <laughs> but yeah, it's. Uh, I would never imagine that was that was a cover. All right, I think we have covered this album. Let's get to our rating. Where the album better EP decent single? Where you at, Jay? Well, you know, I I've probably starred, you know, four or five songs on this record that you know at this point I can say that I, I you know I like and want to hear more of. So from that aspect, I'm out of EP. Um, it's hard for me to say, though, it's not a worthy album, you know, because I, I just have this sense of if I give it more time, I'm going to keep starring more and more of those, you know, songs and kind of mm-hmm. get to at least, a, you know, there's, there's 13 tracks here. And, you know, the songs are all probably in the four minute range. It's not too hard to get through. Yeah. So I, I, I could see myself eventually maybe getting to, you know, eight songs. I think it's fair to say it's a, it's a worthy album. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, there's no song that I dislike. There are songs that I'm confused by, and I haven't like <laughs> really gotten. I really haven't got my mind around them. Yeah. But this is an album that the more I've listened to it, the more I like it, and I I get the feeling that I'm going to continue listening to this record just because it's got so many layers to it. There's so many interesting aspects that I don't want to put down just yet. So when I'm not, you know, engrossing myself in the next album that we're reviewing, I'm probably going to try to pick this up every once in a while and listen to it. I'd really like to get this on vinyl. If anybody knows if this is available on vinyl, since I have now one album in my vinyl collection, I think I'd like to expand it to two. Wow. And uh, I don't have a record player yet, but my grandma is going to give me hers. So I got that going for me. I'm I'm feeling like I want to check out the record after this. I don't know. Part of me thinks that I'm kind of the weird person that likes the record before or after the really popular one. I well, mean, I've, not that this was really popular, but the one that the fans all love. Right. I'm kind of the weirdo that likes the one after that or the one before it, before, either before they got to that point or sort of after they, I guess, sometimes became more commercial or, you know, refined it a little bit more, however you want to phrase that. But Well, keep in mind the guitar player playing opposite of Craig Wedren, Nathan Larson, who's married to Nina Person of the um, Cardigans. Mm-hmm. He's only on, like, this was his first record with the band. So the first four albums, he's not playing guitar. It's a different guitar okay. player and a different drummer. So you have the drummer from Jawbox plus this amazing second guitar player. So their sound is a little bit different. 
on those first four records from what I've read. That this is so, this is a, an advancement in their sound. Now, I don't know about the record after, but then I do know that they did the soundtrack for High Art and they got a lot of praise for that. So I don't know how much of that is instrumental or if he's actually mm-hmm. singing a lot on that album. Yeah. But I think it's worth checking out. Yeah, I'll probably check those those two out for sure. See how they compare. One band that, or there was actually a couple bands that when I was thinking of this band um, that came into my brain and one of them was Chavez in terms of the guitar work and just the complexity of taking a three and a half minute long song and, and making it into a guitar clinic and Chavez to me was a little more abrasive and a little less focused on this band had aspirations of being, you know, like they said, they wanted to be Duran Duran or Van Halen or whatever. I don't, I never got that from Chavez, but I think that there's a fair comparison. The other one is Cursive. Um, that Cursive actually name checks Shudder to Think in one of their songs, one of their early songs. And I believe Tim Kasher has has said in interviews that Shudder to Think was a pretty big influence. In, in a different way, I think that his vocal style, especially when you get to albums like Domestica and The Ugly Organ... His vocal style is not similar, but he's taking a similar approach to um, being a little bit more dramatic with his vocal. Of course, they were considered, I guess, on the edge of emo. Um, yeah. So that makes sense that there'd be drama in his vocal. But he was always doing, especially on the ugly organ, he was always doing a little bit more than just your typical emo post-hardcore band. So yeah. I think that that's a, that's a clear connection. Um, were there any other bands that you thought of with, with yeah, this album? The, yeah, the more I listen to it and understand musically what's going on, I, I kept thinking of Shiner. Mm-hmm. Um, just the this dissonance and complexity with the 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 guitar the guitar uh, approach and the rhythm approach, I think is is you know in the same ballpark to what Shiner does from time to time. I see where you're going with Chavez. I guess I always think of Chavez just being noisier. You know, and sort of right. more fuzzed out, and this band is very crisp. You know, and very everything is you know spatially. There's no bleed over. You know, it's all in, in its proper place. I guess you could say. Right. Um, I mean, geez, it's all over the map. Honestly, I I think like the whole f- sort of first minute or so of uh, Earthquakes Come Home is uh, sounds like Alice Cooper. Welcome to my nightmare. You know, it has that like theatrical concept album kind of like I think what what uh, Katie was saying about Jesus Christ Superstar. You know what I mean? It has this weird like wandering kind of bass bass sound and you know the it just I don't know, it feels like theatrical, you know, like like a concept album kind of kind of sound, like a bed, you know, music bed where there's improvisational vocal over top of it. You know, there's a ton of bands. I said there's moments where it, you know, sounds like Matthew Sweet. Um, you know, vocally Jeff Buckley. There's obviously some Jawbox stuff that you can mm-hmm. kind of hear and hear. So. Folks, only on this podcast will you get comparisons to Alice Cooper, Jesus Christ Superstar, <laughs> and Matthew Sweet for one band. I don't know how we did it, but we managed to do it. You know, even, I mean, even the vocal in that, that Earthquakes Come Home, I mean, some of it's kind of spoken and it's eerie sounding. I mean, mm-hmm. kind of the way that, I don't know if you've listened to Welcome to My Nightmare, but, you know, there's there's pieces and parts that are like that, you know. Or it's kind of storytelling-ish sounding. That would have been so. my one question for Craig Wedron had we been able to get him on the show. Would have been how big an influence was 
Alice Cooper's Welcome to Miami <laughs> on this album. <laughs> well, considering what I had no idea when it, when I uh, when I thought of that, put the note down that he actually said they were going for more of a a Van Halen slash you know some kind of like classic rock hard rock kind of approach and not necessarily punk. So maybe I'm not completely nuts with that, but <laughs> I didn't know he's from Cleveland. I didn't know either. I didn't know he was friends with David Wayne, who you might know from The State, Wet Hot American Summer, Role Models, Wanderlust. Is he the one that's, yeah, because uh, Craig Wedren is in Wanderlust. You yes. Yeah. I, I knew the- it when I read it, and I didn't realize it when I was watching the movie. Yeah, I recognized him in the, uh, you know, the, the 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 band scenes. He's in the he's in the the house band, if you will. And uh, gotcha. He's he's always in the background. I kept waiting, like I could see him back there. I was like, are they going to give him a speaking part? Because it was one of those odd, like it seemed like the camera was always fixating towards him. I'm like, at some point in this movie, they're going to have him like come forward and deliver some like goofy line or funny line, and they never did, unfortunately. That movie features one of the best um, talking to a mirror scenes <laughs> in, in cinema history. That's, yeah, that's true yes if you haven't tracked it down folks uh visit uh your local video uh store or uh if you have no video store near you try to netflix that stuff so all right we want to thank tony phillips for uh, suggesting pony express record by sure to think we finally got around to it and uh it was good i have i have a new record that will be entering heavy rotation uh, for the time being so if you want to suggest an album like Tony did, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com and hit up our request to review page. We've already gotten through about half of our uh, requests for the year in terms of chewing up space. So uh, we're, on the, we're on the back end of that. If you want to get in on this, uh, do so quickly because our, our spaces are limited to 25 for the entire year. And then, of course, everybody who makes a generous donation will be entered in to win our prize pack at the end of the year I, I, I say it's our donation thank you pack that's what it is you know we're gonna draw a winner and you're gonna win some cool stuff not gonna give it away but the music might be involved which would be please it. don't tell the feds because i'm pretty sure we're breaking every interstate um gambling wall that exists but yes or sweepstakes wall that exists so shh yeah this is just between don't you and me anybody. yeah thank you all right for Jay, I am Tim. We are Dig Me Out, the the hosts of the Dig Me Out program that you are listening to. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Voucher.